This is the In Self-Defense Podcast with Don West and Sean Vincent, exploring high-profile self-defense cases and identifying the lessons learned for concealed carriers. Hey everybody, this is Sean Vincent. Thanks for listening into the podcast. Today is the third and final part of our recent conversation with Craig Douglas. Craig Douglas is well known in the firearms instruction industry. I've never spoken to someone who's deep in the industry that doesn't know who he is and doesn't regard him very, very highly. One of those people is our own, Steve Moses. Steve's trained with Craig Douglas a number of times. He considers him a dear friend. He brought Craig to our podcast. We're lucky to have Steve and lucky to have Craig here today. Uh, In this final part, of our conversation with Craig Douglas, we're going to be talking about the armed lifestyle. And that's once you've got the physical and technical chops and you understand how to fire well and shoot safely, and then you've mastered one of the things that Craig Douglas talks about a lot, the soft skills, the verbal jujitsu required to identify and negotiate difficult situations before the threat of violence is there before it becomes necessary to use your firearm uh all of those things are part of the skill sets that you need as a competent and confident armed defender uh, but those all build up towards a mindset that's part of the armed lifestyle we'll have a conversation a bit with that Today's chat begins with uh, a really interesting discussion, I think, between Don West. He's National Trial Counsel for CCWSAFE, a veteran criminal defense attorney, and Craig Douglas. They talk about negotiating ambiguous situations and being able to articulate the decisions that you make after the fact. And, And we've talked about this a little bit before. We're going to talk about it again because I think it's so important. It has to do with creating boundaries or thresholds that you set up that will dictate in advance what your response is going to be to a perceived threat that you encounter out in the world. And if you can set up thresholds, like if this person crosses the street then I'm going to do this. If this person acts in this way, then I'm going to do that. You know what your your questions are going to be, your verbal commands are going to be, you know what stages of defensive display you're willing to do, under which circumstances, if you've thought these things out in advance and that you can recognize the contingencies as they unfold. And then if you have to go to the pistol and you use deadly force and you're forced to justify yourself after the fact being able to articulate that whole sequence is going to be hugely beneficial to you in your potential legal defense in the aftermath of a self-defense shooting that's what this podcast is all about so i want to get into that conversation now Here's our third and final part of our conversation with Craig Douglas. Thanks to our friend, 
and constant companion, Steve Moses, for bringing him to the podcast and to Don West for his fantastic insight in this particular episode. We're looking at negotiating these ambiguous situations and and there's that gray area and I think you used the term Craig uh, like graduated or, or graduating the the nuances here the more lines that you can draw we call them thresholds or, or you, barriers that we can create out of this gray space that we can see and distinguish and articulate that someone has crossed or chose not to cross um, that makes your decision making much better and then Craig, you said that allows you to articulate it better. And Don, isn't that just the crux of the entire aftermath of any self-defense cases? If, if the defender can't articulate what they did, then you have to for them after the fact. And the more thresholds that somebody lays down that were crossed that they can explain, the, the better they are. Not, not just in front of a jury, but just when they finally have their lawyer involved and can make a detailed statement if they choose to. Well, sometimes people forget that self-defense, while it may be a valid defense to a criminal charge, it is nonetheless an affirmative defense that requires some evidence. You don't automatically get to say it was self-defense without explaining why to some degree. Now, that explanation could come from other witnesses or other evidence, but typically it has to come from you because only after there's some evidence of self-defense in the record does it shift then away from you having that burden to introduce that evidence to the prosecutor having to disprove it, to the judge being required legally to give the jury the option to find uh, self-defense or actually find that the prosecutor failed to exclude self-defense. So the more able you are to meet that threshold and more, basically to explain what your thinking was. Why did you do what you did when you did it? And if you can clearly explain the moment that you pulled that trigger and everything else that led up to it, then first and, and foremost, you may not get charged to start with. We've had lots of lethal self-defense shootings where it ended right at the police level of investigation. They may very well have referred the package to the prosecutor for review, but they never got to a grand jury. They never got to an indictment. They never got in court. So it all goes back to that point. If you are thinking clearly, if you are following the progression, if you are acting reasonably and responsibly in response to that threat, uh, and it's clear to others, of course, you know, the, the, the guiding principle is not only does it have to be, your, your actions have to be reasonable to, be, to yourself, but they have to be reasonable to others too. And if it's evident that they were reasonable and the jury or the police investigator or the prosecutor could say, yeah, I probably would have done the same thing in the same situation, you're well on your way not to getting charged to start with. And if you do get charged um, and the prosecutor has to meet that high burden of proving beyond a reasonable doubt that you didn't act in self-defense, you have a much higher probability of being acquitted. 
it's all it's all part of the same dynamic. So if a self-defense shooting's going to be justified, you're the one that has to justify it. Absolutely. And one of the questions, of course, that the lawyers ask is, well, how do we justify it with or not putting the defender on the stand? That uh, put it, Whether somebody takes the stand in a criminal case, as, as Craig can talk about having had experience in the courtroom seeing how these things play out, that's the $200,000 question for the lawyer and the client. Do you take the stand? Are you going to make it better? Are you not going to make it better? I think the default position typically is yes. In a self-defense case, the defender needs to explain why they did what they did when they did it. But that's, I can tell you, having tried a number of self-defense cases, including several where the attacker was unarmed, so to speak, that the hardest cleanup there is, is fixing the statements that the client made after the fact to the police. When they were anxious, scared, angry, whatever it was, uncounseled, they made statements that then had to be explained. The person may have acted completely legally, but they said something that needed to be explained, or I use the word fixed, not to lie about, not to come up with something fantastic to uh, you know, create something that didn't happen, but to fix it, to explain that, in fact, what they did was lawful. Uh, but you create these obstacles that make it very, very difficult for your lawyer. Yeah, I, I've absolutely absolutely seen that you know and i think don that's another reason that i spend so much time continually splicing things down because like you said people just assume they that it's an automatic right yeah i'll hear i'll see someone in a simulation draw a gun and whatever happens happens in the aftermath you know they do use it they don't use it to get in a fist fight uh somebody comes along in video and starts saying he's got a gun you know because i do stuff like that too you know just to to because that's real and and just to inject that but um i'll ask him in the aftermath all right man so this guy walked up to you he did x y and z and he drew a pistol why well, i was in fear of my life you just really yeah you sure well um um well he was he was aggressive was he aggressive or was he persistent i'll think about it um yeah he really wasn't aggressive okay and and, and we just we just start continually splicing this stuff and and i i, I think again it, it's a training issue a lot of people just they don't know what to, they don't even have, know how to look at somebody's actions or explain them well you know and it's not because they're dumb or, or or you know incapable they're just they're just not trained you know in in this this global sphere this interdisciplinary global sphere of conflict of anything other than drawing a gun 
Well, you know, I, I think that we wind up at CCW Safe with some members whose response to what's happening in society at the moment is to say for the first time in their life, I need to get a gun. And they go buy a gun, take the necessary class to get the permit for it, if that's required. And then all of a sudden, now they're armed. So they think they've solved their problem, which was the thinking that made them want to get a gun in the first place. They may have never been in a fight their entire life, or not since uh, junior high school, they may have never even played contact sports where they're used to getting banged around, having physical contact with people, no ability to see anything in between everyday common conversational interaction and somebody actually smacking you in the head. So uh, when you're talking about training, and I'm really fascinated to know how you incorporate the physical part of that that process and and i know there are are parts of your training programs where you're already involved grappling with somebody they're physically on top of you and you have to then respond to that but managing unknown contacts may necessarily it may lead to that hand-to-hand stuff and where it goes i've heard people comment that there's a difference now between the newest generation of police officers and maybe some police officers some a few generations ago that those guys have never been or those women uh, those people have never been in physical uh, contact with others that they may very well have gone into law enforcement for all the right reasons but have not had that kind of life experience that you're talking about which is every day in certain communities where people are touching each other, where they have weapons, they express themselves in completely different ways than what the new recruits are used to. And uh, it, it is training, obviously, but it's more than, than just going to a class, right? A hundred percent, you know, and, and Don, you know, let's, <clears throat> let's really think about this. Columbine. Columbine was when, 97, somewhere around there. So 96, 97, somewhere around there, I think, 98, one of those 90s. But we, we've, got a, we've got a whole generation, actually two now, raised in zero tolerance, you know, for any kind of violence whatsoever within schools. So, you know, kids kids used to fist fight and they would push each other you know and and you you learned you know and and experience that kind of stuff and now there's there's absolutely none of that so i I think it's interesting that like you noted on the law enforcement side we have people coming to the profession that, that they've never been in fist fight and with with police training more often than not being more concerned with the agency than the individual officer's safety you know training is dumbed down and we put these people out on the street and we we expect them to navigate and be good at it (laughs) we expect them to navigate you know violence intertwined with ambiguity and we wonder why you know they don't do well and and on the other side of it like you said with the the new ccw person that sees all the things just 
on the media, you know, because if it bleeds, it leads. That's all they see. And I believe, well, that's the world we live in, which is, there's some truth to that. Um, so they're, they're like, I need a gun. And they go through the necessary permitting requirement. And they, they get a gun and they get their CCW. But here's an interesting number to me. How many actually after that lead an armed lifestyle versus how many of them have the permit and then want the permit and want the gun so they can carry it when they think they need it. Mm -hmm. Steve talks about that. Yeah. I, I think those people, you know, I, I don't know if I, if I, if I thought I needed it, I probably wouldn't go to wherever I thought I had to carry it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Kern, tell me, tell me a little bit. What is, the armed lifestyle, because you're right, being a concealed carrier shouldn't mean just having a, a permit that you paid for and you had minimum training and you have a gun strapped to you somewhere. That, that is a, it's a, our conclusion and, and from talking to so many people, both legally and tactically, is that it's a full mindset commitment and you're going to behave differently in life when you've got the power of life and death strapped to your body. Yeah, so an armed lifestyle to me would be um, you, you probably carry a pistol more often than you don't. You have the requisite and you have and, and use and understand the requisite support equipment that goes with an armed lifestyle. You're, you have a, a real holster. You have a belt that supports that. You um may choose to carry a spare magazine you may choose to carry a blade you may choose to carry a tourniquet or a flashlight whatever um there's all the accoutrement of the armed lifestyle you have gone through training uh you think about this stuff and uh you you alter your behavior and 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 and, and your behavior now is very much predicated on the fact that you're armed. You, you, an armed lifestyle may mean that, and I'm not saying it's right, okay, but maybe you are the person that chooses, <clears throat> well, I'm not gonna go to this restaurant because they have plastered on the door uh, no weapons, you know, and, and the fact that you're armed, you know, skews that decision one way or another. That's what I would think of as an as an armed lifestyle. The 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 pistol, you know, really, really, really predicts a lot of your your public behavior. And you know, something else I might add is that uh, perhaps it's also good to conduct yourself uh, in a lot of those areas as if you didn't have a pistol. That is, your awareness and your alertness needs to be at such a high level that, uh, hey, the last thing I want to do is go for that pistol, and I want to make all my decisions as to where I'm going to go and how I'm going to conduct myself as if I weren't armed. Yeah, and, and th that we hope people would conduct themselves better without a gun, you know, or with it. It's funny because, you know, the other side of that coin, Steve, maybe, well, I have a gun, so I, don't have to tell you, so, so I don't have to worry about getting into a shooting. So if somebody talks shit to me, I can punch them in the face. I, I mean, true. You, true, never, true. you never know how somebody's going to interpret stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. 
but uh yeah yeah we i, I think the i think to me that's what an armed lifestyle is is that the uh the pistol you know and, and, and at least in my experience which certainly isn't you know absolutely conclusive at least in my experience most people actually are are better behaved when they're armed at least if they're responsible people i mean i i, I know we do have people who do reckless things with CCW, I would suspect, and you guys may have the numbers on this, I would suspect that those cases compared to the people that comport themselves better, I, th I would think those cases are a minority, I would think. I, would, I sure would hope. You, you know, Craig, when we find people get in trouble, it's not because they pick a fight because they're armed, they think they can win it, is they put themselves in a position that results in danger that they probably wouldn't have done had they not been armed. The folks who, who after the pounding had stopped on their front door, who go outside to take a peek, probably wouldn't have done that if they didn't have the extra confidence that they eked from the pistol on the side. Or or in road rage, you know, the, the word that you probably wouldn't have said if you didn't think you could back it up if the guy got out of the car. You know, so they don't make a decision that is immediately life or death, but they allow themselves to put themselves in a position where suddenly they feel like they don't have any other alternatives. Right. right. Don, hadn't there been several instances when homeowners have actually gone to confront a neighbor and said, well, this may go bad, so I'm going to take a gun with me? Oh, sure. Sure. I don't know how you... I don't know how to speak to that even because we have actually had scenarios where that happened and the person eventually, before it was all done, got shot and killed. And the decision to take the gun is what precipitated the confrontation, which then, of course, led to ultimately the shots being fired. We've had situations where trespassers, uh, almost innocent trespassers, were met with a displayed firearm. And uh, I think Craig's talking about that, it, the notion of meeting the threat, meeting the risk with the appropriate amount of force, if any force is necessary. But in those situations, uh, a well-placed word or a conversation or just some verbal de-escalation no doubt would have solved those problems. They didn't start out as the mugger or the rapist in the parking garage. They started out as neighbors or acquaintances getting involved in something that just got batshit crazy before it was all done. And either somebody died or somebody went to jail or sometimes both. So uh, I love the, the comment about having the wit of a comic. You know, the, the, the whole notion that that's part of your tool kit too, the ability to disengage enough from the emotion of the moment to say something on purpose and specifically to get the kind of response that will slow things down, de-escalate things. Some of the most verbally agile people are, are comics who still work clubs and have to deal with crowds and hecklers. They, they're, they're really, really good at that.
-hmm. They're really good at that. If you look at the actual mechanics, you know, the science, if you will, of comedy, you know, and what those guys do in the moment and, and just the, the mental agility, you know, and the verbal agility to be able to, you know, not let somebody skew their act, make other people laugh. Uh, it, it, it really is. I think you can learn a lot from, uh, from those guys. There's no doubt. In doing it in such a way to not to be disrespectful or 100%. offensive, at least at first, right? Hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, yeah. And and again, there there's there's so much lear learning how to do stuff like that. You know, and, and we'll, you know, I, I I think that stuff is so important. You know, bar fights, the you know, we'll we'll, we'll simulate somebody that, <clears throat> you know, came over to you you know, in a place that serves alcohol or, you know, a, a, a fair or something like that. Are you looking at my girl? Are you looking at my girl? I saw you looking at my girl, you know, and what'll happen is the knowledge. Yeah, you were knowledge. Yeah, you were knowledge. Yeah. And it just, nothing's getting done, <clears throat> you know, and uh, just, you know, something like, Hey man, yeah, I was looking at her. She looks just like my older sister who I uh, passed away from leukemia about 10 years ago. You know, I was missing her. And um, my gaze was kind of lingering on her, and your gal looks just like her. Did not mean to be disrespectful to you. I am sorry. Problem solved, probably, right? Mm -hmm. Certainly, it's certainly taking a different direction. You know, the funny thing with stand up comedians, too, is if you listen to a lot of stand up comics talk about how they got started, a lot of them will talk about how being funny kept them out of fights and from getting bullied when they were kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a real power, right? That's amazing. I, I, I think the tactical value of uh, comics and comedy, I, I, and I love to laugh, you know, because I, I take what I do seriously, but I don't take myself seriously. So, you know, um, I, I think there's so, I think there's a lot of crossover with what those guys do to, uh, you know, self-defense. Hey, Craig, I have a question for you. Uh, you know, this podcast is going to be listened to by, uh, persons in all 50 states, not all of them are going to be able to get access to you or get to one of your classes. Uh, do you have any recommendations perhaps for them in how they may start on the local level to better preparing themselves for some of these uh, engagements like we've talked about, like the managing unknown contacts, uh, the ability to perhaps protect themselves against the sucker punches, all this other stuff? I mean, how maybe could they start doing that on a local level? And perhaps what do they need to look for in terms of pitfalls? Because I know that after training with you, some of the stuff that I thought would work after being pressure tested tended to kind of fall apart on me, which caused me to go down another path. And thanks to you. I, I appreciate that. It's been very good for me. But would you have any advice for those people? You know, I, I, it's it's hard to substitute like good high quality training, you know, w without having direct in person. So I, I think that's try and get to a class. But here's what I would say: they're they're all kind of my content is uh, available and it's not um, free. But Warrior Poet Society Network has um, two series that I've done with them. One is basically ECQC, Steve, as I teach it literally in the field, and the other is what I call the reality of criminal assault, which covers 
managing unknown contacts, criminal assault paradigm, pre-assault cues. Uh, it's, it's Hollywood level video quality. So if you get a subscription to WPSN, and I don't make anything from that, they pay me for the content and that's it. But it's up and over there. And it's, it's, it's extremely well produced, which is why I partnered with them because the, the quality of video is so high. Um, I think their subscription is $9.99 a month. That'll go a long way. And then after that, um, you know, really, you, you just need people in space, you know, a like-minded person. So I think, a, I think a subscription to WPSN, watch the content as best as you can, you know, which is the beauty of video in the internet age that we live in. You can pause and try something and then go back to video. You know, uh, work with uh, work with your partners. Get with some blue guns. You know, and uh, it's not the, the the cool thing about it is it's not ammo intensive. You know, you're not paying a range fee. You know, you need a patch, you need a buddy, and you need access to me. Which now, again, due to them, that I'm not there in person, but I mean that content is literally as I teach it in person. So you don't get in-person coaching and correction from me, but you most assuredly get the presentation. That's like, I think that's about the best you can do without having to go into a class, Steve. Let, let me ask a question though. I'm sorry to interrupt. Let me ask a question about, about the classes. Uh, you know, I'm assuming that a lot of the people that you train are already pretty well trained. They've come from other places or agencies, but you, do you also offer classes for complete beginners for people that are really looking for their first kind of experience like this? It's the same class for everybody. So within a given class, Don, I will have a JSOC commando playing by paying on his own dime. I will have uh, a couple police officers. I'll have training junkies who are citizens, uh, tech guys, lawyers. I will have um, a soccer mom who heard me on a podcast, who got her CCW and is safe coming out of a holster, but has never ever done any kind of physical training before. And everybody trains together and the course is designed as the place to start, regardless of whether you, the only prerequisite to my coursework is that you have demonstrated safely drawing a gun from a holster. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of the work you do is literally hands-on. Oh yeah. So this is an opportunity then for people to may have have may have that kind of experience for the first time. 100%. And I honestly that would be my preference. Mm -hmm. That the first right. time they feel feel this the the viscerality of you know, here's the thing. It's not a real fight, but it's an honest experience. And your mind doesn't know that it's not a real fight when I put you in a helmet and you've got somebody on top of you, 100 pounds heavier than you, punching you in the head and tearing your pistol out of your hand. The first time to feel that viscerality and that kind of terror is in a safe, supportive training environment where it's a simulation, not when it's for real. So my job is to provide you the benefit of my experience of things that actually happen to me in the real world without the consequence of real life. Craig, correct me if you've if I'm wrong, but haven't you had a student in your class that was 70 years old? Actually, the oldest guy's 75. Oldest guy's 75. The oldest guy's done ECQC now 75. And um, 
you know, he was not in good, good health. You know, he was not, not in good health. I've had a 73 year old who was in great health that wiped the floor with some young dudes, which was awesome to see. Um, <laughs> Old guys rock. There you go. It, it, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm 54. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm no spring chicken, but um, yeah, Steve, we, we routinely have people <clears throat> in their mid sixties. Yes, that, sir. That's, that's common. That's common. But yeah, the oldest guy so far that's done ECQC is 75 years old. And he was, he was, he was no scion of health. I mean, he had, he had issues, but you know, the, the class is scalable. I'm not going to, you know, part of what people pay me for is, you know, to push them as hard as they subjectively safely can be pushed, you know? So, you know, I, I that, that's, that's a big part of it right there. That is, is they trust me to make sure that they can get as realistic an experience as they can possibly handle. For their you know health their stature their age so yeah and craig do you recommend that that anybody who's physically able to who's interested in self-defense get involved in some martial arts study of some type yeah i'd like to see people do that i'd like to see people study. i like brazilian jiu-jitsu for a whole lot of reasons i mean it's not all encompassing but here's the thing one of the safest way one of the safest ways to experience fear and panic in an unfamiliar environment, i.e. the ground, the horizontal plane, one of the safest ways to experience and start just learning how to cope and manage those feelings is BJJ. You know, I, Sean, so I, I'm a huge fan of that. Sean, a great place to start is with Craig's ECQC program and then continue to train and also start Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, regardless of your age. Steve, when you invited Craig to come talk with us, was there anything you wanted him to discuss that we didn't hit today? Uh, no, I think we've pretty much covered everything. Uh, one of the things that I just really have uh, kind of picked up from Craig over the years is that uh, this confidence aspect that he was discussing, uh, a lot of people come in without that after they train, uh, they understand what they can do. Uh, basically, I guess you could say they 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 fake it until they develop some of those uh, abilities to be more assertive. Uh, it seems to me that without question, those are the people that handle uh, potentially dangerous situations better than others. Uh, they can delay making decisions such as, uh, hey, I need to draw a gun. And when, when they do draw a gun, they're in a position to use it effectively in such a manner that it would later be deemed justifiable. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of Craig. I mean, like I said, I've, I've known him now since 2004. Uh, every time he puts forth material, uh, I read it, I add to it. And sometimes I feel kind of bad because sometimes when I'm teaching, I forget to give attribution to craig but <laughs> i need to do it virtually every time i ever teach so i'm just real pleased that he was able to be a guest on this podcast don did you have any questions for craig or comments on things that we discussed today well i can't tell you how appreciative i am that you're here thank you for your time and your knowledge and clearly your wisdom in all of this you have introduced me to aspects of this that I hadn't thought about. 
And just now I'm going to start thinking about it and hopefully I'll do something about it too. But I'm indebted, indebted to you already just for this conversation. That's terrific. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, sir. And to add on, and to add on what Don said, you know, I, I learned a number of things today and we record these podcasts a couple times a month and I've been writing about self-defense for six, seven years now and been involved in self-defense cases with Don dating back 10 years now, right? And and as deep as I'm into it, it's fascinating how much more there is to learn. And I, I think some of the, the best folks that we've spoken with are, are not just uh, teachers, but perennial students at this, because there's you never know too much about this. You're never going to have all of it. I agree, you know, and, and on that note, you know, I... I'm never satisfied that I have all the answers and even 20, this is my 20th year teaching this year, my 20th calendar year teaching this year. And, um, you know, more and more, I, I don't want to rest on my success or my laurels. And I ask myself frequently, do I know what I'm talking about? You know, am I doing the right thing? I want to make sure that, um, then I am correct. So, yeah, I uh, I'm with you on on continuing to learn and explore and question yourself. You know, especially as you age, you have more experiences. You know, and you meet more people. I, I think that's super important. So, hundred percent. And I, I can't tell you, gentlemen, how much I appreciate the opportunity to connect with uh, your audience. It's uh, it's important for me to do this stuff frequently. So, people, if they're evaluating me for in investment, you know, paying for coming to a class, I, I want them to know exactly who and what I am. They, I, I want them to be able to get on the internet and, you know, read uh, after action reports of uh, people who've attended the class. I want them to be able to hear and see me in public and see how I teach and watch. I'm, I'm very transparent when, when it comes to that. So it's, uh, it's, an, it's important that uh, as much info and data get out there as possible. So thank you very much. I sure appreciate the opportunity, guys. Well, and as a final word, why don't you tell folks who are listening where to go to start that journey if they want to get to know you better, Craig? Okay, so the website is shivworks.com. That's where the calendar is posted. Uh, I'm gonna, um, I haven't been real good about updating it here, uh, but I'm going to probably in the next couple of weeks update the uh, training schedule for the rest of the year. So all the classes will be publicly posted. They sell out fairly quick. Um, all the classes pretty much book full. So if you find something that you're interested in that's close to you, I I'd go ahead and jump on it because most classes sell out in a couple of weeks at the most of, of, of me posting. I had one sell out in three hours that I posted online here recently with a uh, in Camden, Tennessee with those guys. But anyway, so uh, Shivworks uh, has a uh, YouTube page uh, where you can see it's Shivworks Media Group. Um, I am on uh, Instagram as my handle Southmark. Uh, there's a Shivworks Media page and Shivworks Products Group page on Instagram. So yeah, we're, we're fairly, fairly easy to find as far as content, products, and trends.
All right, guys, that's the podcast for today. Thanks for listening through to the end. We mentioned Columbine in the course of our conversation, but couldn't remember the date. That was April 20th, 1999, last century. Uh, we'll be cooking up something interesting for you soon. We'll have that to you. Until then, be smart, stay safe, and take care. Excuse me while I kiss the sky.